What's going on, everybody? You're listening to the Musician's Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Mark, and today we talk to my brother from another mother, Joe Cellini. Joe is a drummer, band leader, songwriter um, based out of New Orleans, and he is a two-time Grammy-nominated artist um, with his band Chawa. You gotta check out Chawa. I've put some links in the show notes. Super cool band. Um, and I thought it'd be cool to speak with Joe just about everyday life, musicianship, music business, touring, etc., etc., etc. We also talk a little bit about a couple deeper things, which I'm not gonna go into during the introduction. But, you know, I hope you get something from this. And if you are getting something from this, like I've said before, Please share it or maybe at least tell people who you think could learn something from this about it. Continue to give us reviews and ratings and likes and follows and all of that stuff. We appreciate it. And uh, that's it. Let's get going. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Gelini. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. How's it going? Great. How are you? Good, good, good. How is your Thursday going? Is it uh, going as good as the weather finally seems to be? It's going smashingly well so far. Good. All right. Well, uh, so let's jump straight into it then. Um, so I know I briefly discussed with you before this conversation kind of what I'm hoping to do here. Um, so we're not going to go too much into that. We're basically just going to have a chat. And we're going to talk about the music industry and music business and, and kind of ups and downs of it. And maybe you can share some of your experiences with, with people. And we're going to kind of just steer the conversation sort of in the direction it seems to organically want to go. However, cool. that being said, um, what I've been doing with everybody, if it's okay, would you maybe just um, give us a, a brief introduction as to who you are, what you have done, or what you're currently up to? Just a couple of things that will kind of allow the listeners to understand where you might be coming from. Sure. Uh, my name is Joe Gelini. I live in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I am the drummer and band leader of the two-time Grammy-nominated Mardi Gras Indian funk band Chawa. Woo! That's awesome, man. And uh, for those who don't know, Chawa rule. So go and check them out. I'll put some links in the show notes um, as usual, and you can find that in the descriptions and stuff like that. So, Joe, let's let's back it up a little bit. So, I mean, I know Chawa do very well down here. I know you guys are touring a lot. We're going to get into the touring thing and stuff like that as the conversation kind of transpires, but what was kind of your musical upbringing? Obviously growing up in New Orleans, there's music everywhere. Um, were you instantly sort of bitten by the musical bug or was there a certain sort of road you took to get into music? Well, I grew up in New England. Um, I lived in Rhode Island in Connecticut until I was uh, graduated from high school. And then I, moved to Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, attended Berklee College of Music and lived in Boston for five years before I moved to New Orleans. But my dad, uh, who was uh, a you know, businessman and traveled uh, 
you know, probably about as much as I do right now, um, would often come to do business down in New Orleans and um, he would bring back, you know, CDs and tapes and records and posters and all sorts of stuff from places like Tipitina's and Snug Harbor. And, uh, you know, I got to become familiar with the Neville brothers and Astro project and Louis Armstrong and uh, Dr. John and the meters and, um, Professor Longhair and stuff like that. And, um, you know, when I moved down here, I, I felt like even though I had gone to this prestigious music college, um, you know, I really was able to cut my teeth in New Orleans and, and then I really had to learn a whole nother, you know, the, the language of, of, of music down here, which, you know, essentially comes from the streets, uh, so it's it's been a it's been an incredible education just living in New Orleans culturally, musically, uh, personally, spiritually. Yeah, and the food's pretty good too. <laughs> well, I married a chef, so <laughs> I uh, I really knocked it out of the park. Yeah, dude. I mean, what more could you ask for, huh? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I married up, you know, I, I did good. So uh, my wife is actually born and bred here, and um, she's uh, she's been great. She works at, she teaches culinary arts at the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts, which is the performing arts high school down here that, you know, has become, um, you know, well-known over the years and most recently, um you know, Ellis Marsalis had been teaching there for many years. The uh, the father of um, Winton and Brantford and Jason, and um, you know, and then John Batiste and Trombone Shorty, obviously, are you know like fixtures of the music community now, like around the world, and they're ambassadors for that place. So you know, our our family definitely has, uh, and then my my father-in-law's a drummer so uh and my daughter is now starting to play drums so it's really uh you know there's a, a lineage that um sort of uh you know defines what new orleans music is because it, it can go through so many generations yeah so um you know i'm, I'm just i'm glad to be a, you know add to that and whatever uh you know, modest way that I can. So let's talk a little bit about Chawa. You know, that Mardi Gras Indian thing, that's very special to the culture down here. And you guys, you kind of incorporate so many different styles. Um, Like if I was to describe you for somebody, or sorry, to somebody, I would kind of say it's like a, it's almost like a dancey, not as in sort of, techno music but dancey as in you can dance to it kind of funk gang vocal kind of rock kind of thing it's like you 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 throw so many different sort of influences in the mix but you're the the predominant songwriter in that band am i right uh yeah i i I suppose i am um you know i've definitely had tons of uh collaborations with uh other you know current 
and former band members that we've written songs together, uh, you know, either in a small or large way, there have been songs that, you know, we've released that are cover songs. There are songs that have been written entirely by, you know, uh, certain members of the, of the band in the past. Um, you know, I've always just tried to encourage, I don't know, always, but, you know, as after maybe my uh, first CD, I started to try to encourage, you know, whoever was playing with me to, to be able to contribute to the songwriting. So, um, but yeah, I, I have done the majority of it. Uh, I think total, if you count everything up, but um, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to collaborate with other musicians either in the band or out of the band or, you know, whatever is going to make the best record. And, you know, so far we've had pretty good luck with making good records. You've got great records, dude. Um, so I want to delve a little bit more into the songwriting thing here for a second, because again, the whole point here, besides a listener trying to get to know who you are, is to try and like just spread a little insights about things that I, f- I feel maybe don't get spoken about much in the music world. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, there's there's books and magazines and podcasts that will teach you about so many different elements about the music industry, but often they don't seem to talk about some of the more political things or the, you know, the 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 stuff that really no one wants to talk about. The hardships, the the parts that make being in a band a bit of a pain or uh, feel like a relationship that sometimes is just butting heads, and you know, so. On that note, just going back to the songwriting thing, um, and I'm going to kind of briefly pull it to, towards something that happened to me in the past, but I'd just like to know your your take on it. So how do you guys go about deciding? Now, obviously, if you come to the, to the, the band with a finished song, that's a different story. You can go, oh, I wrote this song. But if you're in a group setting and there's a couple of you sitting in the room and and maybe people think that they've put more into an idea than they possibly did. How do you guys decide and talk about that beforehand so that you can almost decide on publishing rights before the song is even released? I've, I've had this experience a couple of times and I'll tell you about mine once I hear about yours, but I always found this a bit tricky in my own experiences. Sure. Well, it's, um, it's you know, I often say whenever you mix art and commerce um something is bound to get misconstrued or um misinterpreted or uh you know you could have disagreements or any of that stuff um i will say that uh my policy so far has just to before we go into, uh, you know, whatever stage, sometimes it's been later than I I want it to be, but it's before the album comes out. Um, you know, we try to, and hopefully before we even record the record, sometimes things happen when you're recording that happen where someone might add a, a lyrical or melodic element to the song that requires them getting a, a share of it, which obviously, you know, changes the overall uh, percentage, but, you know, I think there's understanding 
about how songwriting publishing goes uh, is the first step, um, you know, because if you have uh, a song and, uh, you know, half of the, you know, the, the publishing is, it's, it's a, it's a complicated thing, you know? So basically, you know, with any song, um, part of the half of its music and half of its lyrics and um you know you can if you, if you contribute to one side of that you split up each side uh into percentages and it literally when you register the song with bmi or ASCAP, you have to put something that adds up to a hundred percent so um, you know, if, if I wrote, just hypothetically, if I wrote, uh, you know, 100% of the music and someone else wrote 100% of the lyrics, then I would own 50% of the song because the, the music is 50% and the lyrics are 50%. So it's just a complicated thing with that. The writer who wrote the lyrics would own 100% of the lyrics, but it would be 50% of the song. So that sort of stuff starts to uh, is inherently confusing. So, um, you know, generally, uh, I think when you're working with seasoned musicians uh, who have done it before, it's easier because they understand what the basic premise and principles are around it and then you know some some of the best musicians i've ever worked with you know might not really understand or know anything about publishing and it's it's confusing you know it's like if someone hasn't explained it to you or you haven't gone out and learned about it it can get really complicated but it's 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 more simple than uh it's made out to be so um i just try to have a conversation with the songwriters about and usually it's the band uh depending on the situation but you know we'll have a meeting and say like all right well how are we going to split this up and if i say well i wrote you know a, a certain percentage of the lyrics and you wrote a certain percentage percentage of the lyrics we have to divvy that up and decide how much that is and then same thing with the music sometimes it's cut and dry you know like sometimes Obviously, if somebody wrote all the lyrics and all the music, they would own the that side of the publishing. Um, and then there's a, the whole other aspect of like you know the uh, there's uh, master is you know when you're when you're going to like uh, register um, like a sync license or anything like half of that is the whoever owns the master, which is usually the record company. Um, until that has been returned and recoupable. Like, <clears throat> say you have a $10,000 uh, recording budget and um, with the with what is it total, you know, for the label, um, if you sell a song to, you know, a commercial and they, they say, well, we're going to give you $10,000, $5,000 of that, um, goes to the people that own the master, which is usually the record company, and then the writer's share goes to the writers. So it just it gets it it gets complicated. So that like the master has to get paid back 
or I'm sorry, the whoever owns the master, which is the record company, they have to recoup the recording costs. costs. Yeah. Um, which also like can include, you know, having a publicist and having, um, you know, actual printed copies of the vinyl or the CD. And um, so as long as everybody understands what the rules are, then it's easy generally. But also, you know, that's another reason why it's good to have uh, management just to be able to double check that stuff and um, clarify things amongst different artists. Uh, but I think that as long as the songwriters themselves can, um, can agree in principle to what the terms are, that's always the best way. So I try to be pretty uh, transparent about all that and just, you know, start a discussion. So in some cases, you know, depending on the, the situation, you could go into like what is, you know, as I understand, like sort of a Nashville kind of a, you know, agreement where I've been, I've been in writing sessions where there are four people in the, in the session and you predetermine that you're all going to split the entire songwriting share. So, um, you know, the person that comes up with the downside of that is that the person that doesn't contribute as much still gets an equal share. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it also makes things a lot simpler. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that's answered your question, but um, I, I try to, and in New Orleans, in all fairness, you know, like um, it's sort of been a joke as to like, you know, publishing not being, um, you know, registered correctly. But the other thing is that like, you know, I, I suggest to everybody that I work with to register with a PRO. So like BMI or ASCAP yeah. or something like that, so that they can actually collect any royalties as small, as modest as they may be right now. Um, you know, just to be able to, to do that and to start their own publishing company, which is something that, you know, I think is really important if you actually want to be able to make it easier to streamline the process of collecting any of that. Completely. Yeah, sometimes, you know, sometimes you might be getting a check for, you know, $5, but, you know, at least you know that it's being accounted for and that if it ever gets a placement or something in the future, you know, that you're going to be, uh, you know, it's, it's all going to be accounted for. Exactly. And, 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 you know, I think especially where kind of the music industry appears to be nowadays, you know, it doesn't really matter how small the amount of money is. If you've got small amounts of money coming in from various different places, that small amount actually becomes a substantial amount, potentially, depending on how many projects and situations you find yourself in, you know? Um, and yeah, you did answer my question. I was just asking because, you know, I, I find that this is, I, I do a lot of co-writing. I mean, you know that we've had these discussions and um, I find that when you have those discussions beforehand, it's like you said, it's, it's quite easy. It gets it out the way and you kind of, you know, you feel as though the weird part about it is is out of the way. But I've definitely been in situations in the past where hypothetically I'll be the, the chief songwriter in a band and a publishing deal will come along and then suddenly we have to talk about those kinds of things. And because 
people have played on the recordings, they'll be like, well, I helped write that song. And you'd be like, well, but you didn't help write that song. You played chords mm. that were predetermined. You might have put your spin on it. but And it's always a tricky situation. And I think where the line, for me, at least gets a little blurry is I think that people still believe that, uh, you know, your song is going to just generate like a million dollars overnight. Like, <laughs> and I think they're also scared that that's going to happen, that they, they're all trying to like figure that out. And so it can get really interesting, but to your, to your, um, answer, I think discussing that stuff before it gets kind of registered and stuff is always a very smart thing, you know? Well, I think, you know, having that discussion beforehand is a lot easier than having it. The later that you get in the process, the more complicated it's going to get. Completely. Completely. Potentially, you know. Um, but I think that also, like I said, understanding that, like, hey, sorry, Joe. Um, sorry, can, yeah. can you just repeat that for me, please? You cut out a second. Oh yeah, sure. I think that it helps to to work with people who understand what publishing you know what what that actually when and uh, you know the fact that like things are recoupable and um i I was in a situation hey joe i'm sorry buddy yeah You, you cut out again so basically i got you i got you up until it said like you said, I think it's tough that people, and then you kind of cut out. So I don't know if it's maybe a connection thing or what, but I'm not even moving. So just letting you know. Okay. Sorry. Um, I'm not moving either, but let, give me just a second and um, maybe I'll just try. Uh, give me one second. All right. So um, I'm sorry. Could you repeat the question? Yeah, so so I know basically we were just saying um, that, uh, you know, it's easier to have that discussion earlier on in the process besides, uh, instead of, sorry, not besides, instead of waiting till the process is at a point where maybe it's harder to have that discussion. Yeah, I mean, also the, I, the idea that, um, you know, uh, <sighs> you know, I've been in situations where people think because a certain amount of albums have been sold and that is, that means that like the entire recording budget has been recouped by the record company. And that's, that's just not the the case, you know, um, and it's, and it's, it's similar with, you know, maybe this is a segue into touring, but like, uh, you know, sometimes people, and I, and I try to be really transparent with this sort of stuff um, as much as possible. Is like, if someone's offering us a gig for, you know, what looks like a ton of money uh, for us, especially this year with, you know, all the inflation and airfare prices and gas prices rising dramatically, um, you know, you get an offer for a gig that sounds incredible, and then you go, well, it's going to cost us like 75% of the offer to, just to fly there. Yeah. 
you know, and then, and then, um, you know, so you could, you could potentially have a, a, a concert that is paying very well that you could be losing money on because after you pay commission to the management and the agent, which they certainly deserve. And then after paying the band and then all the travel expenses, you could be, you know, in the red for something that you got paid a lot of money for. So, um, you know, I think that it sort of depends on, on, you know, when I was, uh, when I was primarily a side man, I, I, I didn't really understand all the nuances of that. And now as a band leader for over 10 years, um, and being in debt, <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I understand the nuances of that much more and, and I'm trying to make better decisions about, you know, what sort of gigs we should accept or not ex- accept. And a lot of times it, it doesn't have, you know, this year it's it doesn't have anything to do with the promoter or the offer. It's just that it's just been so expensive to travel. Yeah. Yeah. You got to almost have your logistics in order and sometimes they still don't add up, you know? Yeah. And it's the same thing with making records, you know, like, um, if you had a $10,000 budget and, uh, you know, hypothetically, and then you needed to spend $5,000 more to, um, you know, to do extra overdubbing studio time, paying extra musicians, longer time to mix and master, whatever the variables are, you, you still have to do it so it's you know it's it's budgets for all this stuff are very can get can get very complicated yeah so let's let's use that as as a bit of a segue before we get into the touring thing too much if we're thinking about budgets something that i notice a lot um with a lot of the the working musicians and the side men that i work with they seem to be two very different type of mindsets you've got guys who do consider budgets they kind of thinking of paychecks as you know um well i need to split this paycheck over a course of things in case i don't get gigs next month or i gotta use this money to pay off this etc 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 and then i've got a whole different kettle of fish in terms of guys who i know some guys who get good money on gigs and are basically spending that money before the gig's over. So <laughs> I know I know it sounds ridiculous, but but it's true. I mean, I've I've done gigs with some guys and I've been very lucky. I've done some nice paying gigs over my life and I've definitely been in situations where you know, we uh <laughs> we know we're getting a certain amount of money each for a gig and the guy next to me is like busy buying a new guitar on eBay when there's like mm. no guarantee that we got any gigs coming in. Look, each to their own. I'm not saying that's wrong. All I'm trying to sort of say is, you know, uh, well, actually, I'm not trying to say anything. I want to hear what you've got to say. What what advice would you have when it comes to self-employed musicians, whether they're working as band leaders, sidemen, club drummers, or songwriters, it doesn't matter, with any vocation within the industry, have you got any advice when it comes to trying to handle your finances being self-employed in this industry? 
Well, that's a loaded question. Oh, it's it's a very load, <laughs> loaded question. And and look, we, we don't need specifics either. We just like, I'm trying to like, I'm in no way trying to sort of preach that people need to do certain things with their money or even with their careers. That's the last thing that this is about. I just mm-hmm. think that, you know, and not to sound like a broken record because I've had this discussion a few episodes ago, but I'm I'm constantly hearing that there's no money in the music industry. But well, I don't agree. Yeah, and 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 secondly, the the people that seem to run around saying that, I typically and I'm, I'm stereotyping, but I typically uh, see them not handle their money very well. And I just think that if you're a up and coming musician, or you want to be a musician, or work professionally as a musician in sort of this industry in any shape or form, I think you've got to try and learn a little bit about how money works. Which sounds super ignorant, but you know, a lot of people don't actually know how money works. It's like they 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 live paycheck to paycheck, and they never seem to get ahead. And I, I think if you could just educate yourself a little bit, that could potentially change. Yeah, well, um, it's a it's a. Uh I mean, I don't, I'm not sure where to, to start because, uh, you know, we're in a, I guess the way that I would, would say is that, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not my job to count other people's money. So, uh, whether that's somebody who's making more than me or making less than me or the same or on the same gig or whatever the, whatever the issue is. Um, and people have extenuating circumstances with different things. Um, I just try to be, uh, you know, from a band leader's perspective, I try to be upfront with people. I generally, you know, have a, a strategy with like, you know, a rate that I have to pay, uh, the guys in my band, like in town for private events, out of town gigs, and, um, you know, sometimes there are extenuating circumstances where you might have to travel a long way to play one gig, but, um, you know, it, it, it pays enough to pay for the amount of time that you're gone. And, you know, it can, it, it really can just depend. And then there are situations where, um, you know, I think just being transparent and saying like, Hey, this is what, this is what it pays. Uh, this is how long the trip's going to be. You know, we have to, we're driving on this tour, we're flying on this tour. These are the arrangements, um, you know, and then if if people then ag- agree to those terms, then, uh, you know, I, I expect people to be, uh, live up to their end of the bargain, you know, as long as everything's, you know, communicated and agreed upon mutually and, and, and in good faith, you know, sometimes there are situations where, you know, maybe a gig initially looked like it was going to be no problem. And then, um, you know, extenuating circumstances can happen with the travel or with having to drive instead of fly or, you know, there, and there's been a bunch of that, you know, this year because of the, the cost of, of, um, of travel, uh, you know, like again, like a lot of the contracts that we had 
made, you know, early, much earlier in the year, um, you know, around the first of the year, uh, just did not ha- have the same amount of, uh, uh, you know, profitability uh, when we got to, you know, plane tickets, you know, that normally cost $400 or now $800, you know, and bringing, we're bringing eight members and then, you know, you just do the math on that. So, but what, what I try to do is I try to just, you know, whether, whether I lose money or not, I am going to pay the musicians what I said I was going to pay them. So I think that's just being able to make sure that you're able to cover your expenses and know that inevitably there's going to be experiences where, you get on the road and, um, you know, that, uh, that van trip that you're taking to Atlanta, well, you know, there's suddenly your, the wheels on your tires are, you know, starting to make noise and you need to get new tires and that's a thousand bucks. And you need to make sure that you have some sort of backup plan to make sure that, that stuff gets covered that you have, you know, enough money in, in a, you know, credit limit on a credit card that you can pay for all of the uh, band members in a, uh, in a hotel room. If you, if you, you know, you're traveling, you hit a snowstorm and the venue was supposed to pick up the, the tab and then you have to miss the gig cause you're in a blizzard. And then suddenly you have to house the, the folks in the band. And I mean, it's just, it's, I, I, there are just so many scenarios and that's true. Um, it's, it's a, it's a tightrope because you're trying to make things, uh, you know, budget things so that you can make, especially coming up, making, uh, these shows, uh, either profitable or at least not lose a lot of money. And, um, you know, it's different scenarios for different things. If you're in a band where everybody is uh, an equaling contributing member and, you know, uh, you're able to go out and be, you know, essentially partners with everybody, take it on the liability of all the costs and then split the profits. That's that's a different level of commitment than, you know, having uh, an artist who has, uh, you know, um, sidemen, so to speak, you know, so it can, it can get, it's just, it's a very, very, very tricky thing. Um, but I would say if I had to give anybody advice, it would be, uh, especially early on, try to establish, uh, credit early and, um, really, really protect making sure that you have a, a good, uh, credit score and that you pay all of your bills and pay them on time and, you know, uh, that sort of stuff, because most small, small businesses, which include bands, um, fail because of, uh, lack of, uh, credit or capital. So, um, you know, I, I just try to make sure that I've got a, a backup plan going into, into any scenario that I have, including having, you know, we just, played a gig about a month and a half ago where the airline lost 
some of the equipment for one of the band members and we're dealing with that now and i have a insurance you know potential insurance claim being filed and and all this stuff so it's it it you know not to scare anybody but it you know and we're in a situation post covid um where you know there's a you know a lack of um people that are employed at all of these service oriented uh things like airlines and airports and hotels and um you know ground transportation and all, and and you know doing production at clubs and um you know the the whole nine yards so it's we're we're in a, a pretty tricky situation and uh i know that everybody's kind of just doing the best they can so you gotta roll with the punches i guess yeah and it's also a testament to how adaptable you have to be you know uh, on the road as a band leader just in general um so let me ask you this you've you've got quite a, a big band how many people in total well in theory eight but uh you know we've had to make some uh adjustments for that on certain gigs because of the budgets and uh you know sometimes bringing smaller smaller groups but generally like if we're playing in our with the full band it's uh, eight musicians. Okay, so how do you go about finding those musicians, and what are qualities you look for in musicians as a band leader? Well, um, again, that can. It, there are so many different factors. If you're, it's you know, it's one thing if you're playing in town, um, like we live here in New Orleans, which is probably one of the last cities that you can uh because of the cost of living that you can survive as a full-time musician at a sort of uh in the, in the sense that you don't have to leave new orleans to go on tour um there are enough local gigs that you know people can scrape it together um to be able to you know have a, a decent um decent career so uh that means that people are in generally like very attached to their regular gigs because that's their bread and butter so if you're expecting a musician who it depends on their their standing in the music community if they can take a week or two off and go on the road and still come back and have their gig then uh that's generally something that you know, if people want to go and play festivals and stuff like that, rather than just playing on Bourbon Street or Frenchman Street or the, the local riverboats or, you know, at the clubs or, or whatever, um, you know, that's something they want to do, but not everybody wants to do that. So I, I really, I try to set up an environment where um, I try to give like the, tell people what I'm going to do. And if they are going to be able to do it musically and also deal with the traveling, which is intense, um, you know, if they're able to be organized and be on time and make sure they can make it to the airport and for lobby call and for all the different things that are involved, um, crossing borders and stuff like that. Uh, 
you know, if, if that's something that they, they want to do and it, they're going to enjoy, then I, that's the most attractive quality. But, you know, I, I try to get people who want to do that rather than people who are um, doing it sort of at the level of, uh, you know, their level of expectation is that they just want to be a, a side man. You know, it's, I'm kind of, caught in the middle sometimes between having uh band members and who are like you know committing their the effort of their time to uh to this project and you know they've got a i can't employ them as their only gig so they've got to balance their other gigs so i i just you know i i try to be as flexible as possible and um you know if, if people want to be out there with my band and they're having fun and they're enjoying the music and they're able to deal with all the, the twists and turns and the traveling. That's, I mean, you know, you're only on stage for a couple hours a night and the rest of the time you're basically living together, yeah. you know, in a van, in an airport, in a hotel lobby, <laughs> you know, it's, it's intense. Um, and depending on the success you know, of the band and the budget and the travel arrangements, you know, if you have a, a tour manager and a driver, if you have somebody able to do, do merch for you, that's great. But, you know, right now we're at a, we're at a position where I'm sort of, uh, I'm the tour manager and the band leader and the drummer and, you know, settling up with merch and with the, 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 uh, with the talent buyer and it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff. Luckily we have a great, um, remote tour manager, um, our boy Julian up in New York. And, uh, he handles all the logistics for us and the advancing and everything like that. But, um, uh, you know, you, you gotta be able to get along with everybody on the, um, in the band, you know, and cause I, I think attitudes are, infectious um you know myself included yeah so uh you know everybody you know it's it's a it's a, it's a challenging life and it's tough to be away from your family or your girlfriend or your partner or boyfriend whatever you know um i've got a i've got a two and a half year old daughter and a wife and um i am saying good bed good night to my daughter a lot of times you know through facetime when I'm on the road and, and that can be uh, emotionally uh, and spiritually challenging as well, being away. So, you know, everything in COVID right now is like a, it seems like it's a whole new world um, with all these different nuances and challenges and things. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, we're turning the corner, so to speak, and able to, uh, you know, this, this is the first year that they've really had music festivals the first summer completely. And, um, and we've, you know, we had to turn down three summers full of European tours because of, uh, COVID restrictions and the risks. And, uh, you know, like if somebody gets sick on the road and has to quarantine, it's, that's a very complicated situation, you know, like knock on wood, uh, we haven't had to, to deal with that too much 
yet. Um, we've been in, uh, we've had to deal with it a little bit, but uh, it, it can get very complicated very quickly when you're dealing with having to keep somebody, uh, you know, quarantined and then get subs. And even if it's just locally in town, it just, it can get complicated because as we all know, it can kind of come out of nowhere. And then, you know, whether you've been exposed or not and all, all of the protocols that, you know, I, I believe like are in place for a reason um, and have helped sort of calm the, the, uh, the continuation of uh, this pandemic, you know, and sort of get it a little bit more in check. It's just, it's, it's a lot, man. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, something that I think, again, maybe isn't considered is, you know, let's say you're in town doing a gig or even on the road doing a gig, it doesn't really matter. And one of your members get COVID and you've got to dip that out. That changes the chemistry within the band. You know, and, and sometimes, you know, once you spend so much time with a certain amount of guys, especially on the road and stuff, hopefully, if all goes well, you become kind of like a close-knit family. It doesn't always work that sure. way, but more often than not. And, you know, to suddenly bring someone in, especially if they haven't had to dip for that band before, that can be quite foreign, should we say. You know, so it's just like all these, again, you mentioned the word earlier, but all these variables that are just so interesting and <clears throat> if you're not willing to adapt can can really make your life quite difficult you know yeah it's i mean i think that uh you know we're seeing a lot of the music industry people trying to um, manage a better work life uh ratio and um you know have a have a more manageable um time with with work and with you know mental health is now oh, sorry. sorry about that those are my dogs no problem at all i uh i saw um, that instagram picture with your one dog and the bunny ears on that was adorable oh <laughs> uh, yeah they're they're uh but always challenging to try to record anything with them around um but uh you know like i was saying you know, mental health is now being recognized more than it ha ever has been in the industry. And I think that's a super positive thing. I think um, so too. I really, you know, I, I've had my personal struggles with it and um, I'm also in recovery. Um, I've been in recovery for uh, since 2009. So um, like 12 and a half years. Congratulations, uh, man. More. Thank you. So it's, you know, I have to be careful about, um, you know, being able to focus on my recovery while I'm out, uh, you know, in these murky waters. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it's just, it's, an, it's important that everybody uh, is able to focus on self-care and focus on their mental health. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of pitfalls out here for, for everybody, whether, um, you know, with, alcohol and drugs and and all this stuff whether you're you know runs the gamut of whether you're you know struggling with them or abusing them or dependent on them or in recovery or trying to get into recovery or have long-term recovery or whatever the or you relapse after a certain amount of time i mean all this stuff is uh you know can 
can um, can be a tough road to manage, but um, I, I really try to be transparent about my own needs with uh, with the guys that I'm working with, and um, you know, like respect their whatever their journey is, and not to you know be judgmental because if I don't drink or do drugs, that you know nobody else can you know, have a few beers or, you know, whatever the the case may be, you know, like a lot of, uh, you know, so many of the States and, you know, provinces in Canada, it's just, it's legal, uh, to, to buy weed and I'd say more power to them, but, you know, like I also have to be able to, um, make some boundaries for myself on like, you know, what can be done in green rooms and, um, and in the van and, backstage and all that sort of stuff just for my own self-preservation completely uh, and that's tough man i mean that's admirable because uh i know that certain vices are basically expected when you with certain musicians and it's uh to be to be you know constantly fighting that that monkey off your back when it might be going around on might be going on that's that is that is strength right there, dude. So power well, to you, I don't, man. You know, thanks, man. I, I I will be the first to say that I you know I don't do it on my own, and you know, like being uh, in twelve step programs uh, has helped me realize that it's uh, you know I need to it's it's like a you know they say it's a we program, so um, you know I have to do this with. Uh, with other people in recovery, you know, you sort of have to be able to give it away to keep it. And, um, so I, you know, and it actually, you know, uh, if it weren't for COVID, you know, I think, uh, we wouldn't have established such an amazing, uh, recovery network on, um, things like platforms like zoom. Mm. And I go to, a, I can go to a, a meeting, um, in an airport, in a van, anywhere that I have a connection, uh, you know, I can, I can jump on and, and, uh, be a part of that, uh, which is something that has always historically been very challenging to go find meetings because, uh, you know, when you're on the road, you're pretty much constantly traveling and, uh, whether you're going to, you know, the airport or you're driving to the gig and then you're loading in and going to sound check and then hopefully eat something and then, like it would be totally amazing to be able to go check into the hotel and grab a shower and nap and come back before you have to play. But, you know, sometimes that doesn't even happen depending on how far you have to travel. Yeah. Um, so trying to squeeze a, a you know, dry, finding a, a, a meeting that aligns with your schedule and driving there and being a person in the whole nine yards uh, can be almost impossible sometimes. So uh, to be able to jump on, while I'm in route to whatever gig we're going to next is uh, just uh, has opened up a whole new world. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, Absolutely yeah. incredible. I'm really glad that's yeah. happening. So, yeah. so Joe, listen, I'm not going to keep you much longer. I told you we would be a certain amount of time, but I do want to just ask one or two more things. Sure. Uh, first thing, if you could go back in time in your musical career, is there anything you would have done differently? Uh, I would have taken a music business class. Ah. 
<laughs> that's that's actually a really good answer. So when you were at Berkeley, did they not go into that kind of stuff? Well, no, they did, but I didn't, you know, I was young and naive and, um, you know, like, oh, I just want to play drums, you know, and then of course, you know, like you're in a situation where, you know, you've got all these things that we've been discussing, um, you know, educating yourself is knowledge is power, you know, uh, straight up. So I think, um, especially now that, uh, you know, we rely on things like, uh, sync licensing so much more than, um, than maybe we used to as an industry, you know, now it's, it's possible for, you know, relatively undiscovered artists to be able to get a placement in a TV commercial, you know, social media post, you know, whatever the, the media is, whatever the screen is. And, um, and actually monetize that and understanding how all that stuff works, I think is, uh, is something that is really, really helpful. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, if you, if, and again, mixing when, when art and commerce meet, it's always a, a, a unnatural type of, you know, experience because most artists are focused on their art and um, most managers or, you know, people in the business are focused on being able to, to sell that, um, which is their job, you know? Um, So, but, you know, when they, they come together, you got to be able to understand some of the basic language. Um, Otherwise you're, you know, you're setting yourself up for a situation that you, you might not, understand and that's that's that can always be tricky period but luckily um i'm really fortunate i have an amazing team of uh of managers and um agents and uh, amazing entertainment attorney and um you know just really but i I would emphasize that as you know as an artist is like try to you know really try to surround yourself with people that are focused and professional yeah you know try to develop try to develop your team try to get attract the best manager that you can get somebody who aligns with your vision you know is going to have your best interests in mind um you know eventually when you start making if you know start having a record deals and stuff like that you're going to want to have a good entertainment attorney to be able to um you know, negotiate for you on certain terms and, uh, you know, be able to have a really good, uh, agent who is, uh, you know, either has the, the, a broad reach that can give you, I mean, hopefully it's somebody who has a broad reach and is in line with your artistic views. Um, but you know, if you get a, you know, a relatively inexperienced, uh, manager or agent that is willing to go to bat for you all the time that can in some ways be um, better hypothetically than getting somebody who has a ton of reach, a ton of influence, but you're like at the bottom of their uh, priority list. Yeah, totally. So, but um, you know, I, I've been very fortunate to have be surrounded by uh, great managers and great agents and, all that sort of stuff. That's awesome, man. All right, Joe, last question, man. 
and again, a bit of a broad, fully loaded one, but what do you think the best advice you've ever received in relation to your music career has ever been? Well, um, I think the best advice that I ever got was from Quincy Jones when I was 18 years old. Um, and that's a whole nother story how I got to run into Quincy Jones when I was 18. But long story short, my dad's in the business. Um, you know, he was in the broadcasting business and, uh, I went to a convention, uh, Quincy Jones was at actually in New Orleans. And, um, I very kind of like, you know, sheepishly, uh, was like waiting around for him to, um, you know, end his conversations with these other people that were obviously, you know, like in, in the industry, I was just, you know, like I was going around with my dad. So, um, I asked him what advice he would give a 18 year old freshman at Berkeley college of music. Also sidebar. He was one of the first, uh, arranging students at Berkeley. Like when it, the, like one of the first classes before it was even an accredited school, like back in the fifties, maybe. Um, so, uh, it was sort of a, a legendary fixture at, at, uh, you know, in Berkeley's history. So I went up to him and, you know, I said, well, you know, what advice would you give me? And he looked at my name tag, which said Joseph on it. And he said, well, Joseph, and he you know, kind of looked down at the tag, he said, he looked straight at me and he said, get good. And I, he must've seen the crestfallen <laughs> look on my face where I was like, you know, I was thinking to myself, I'm trying to get good, you know, <laughs> and, um, and he said, look, there's more to it than that. He said, most artists spend most of their time trying to sell themselves when they haven't spent that time developing their art. So if you can spend the time on developing your art, um, it will sort of sell itself. You know, it, it's, it's something that you should try to perfect. And then people, when it's, when it's ready for the world, people will recognize it. And, um, you know, so I think that although that's a massive generalization, I think that there is a, a lot to be said for that. Like if you, um, I think as, as an artist is, you know, especially if, if you're young, I mean, there's some amazing artists that are like, you know, world famous and when i went to the grammys this year you know i was on the red carpet you know behind these some of these artists that were like you know they're way younger than i am and uh you know they're multi-platinum stars but um you know for someone like myself uh you know i, I just i keep trying to nail down what the best version of what i'm going to present to an audience is and um you know it's not about it's about the journey not the destination because you know you can get all sorts of awards and be popular or famous or have money or whatever that and still be miserable completely so i think i think that um it's a good it's good advice for people who are starting out because if you're not enjoying the process um 
you know, if it's something like, I, I sort of feel like music chose me. I didn't choose music. So if you're not really there, you know, like, man, like go to business school, <laughs> you know, like go, go do something that's going to, you know, be a solid career that you can maybe make some money at or something like that. But, you know, the, the, um, you know, and, and, and also just save your money and, and try, try to be weary about, you know, getting, uh, getting into a scene of music where, um, you're playing with a lot of people who are getting, uh, getting high or drunk. Um, it's just not going to help the music that much. You know, that's just my own experience. I, no, I, I, I thought differently when I was younger, but that's just my honest opinion. No, I, I do agree, man. And I know that there's certain movies. And I can only, and I can, I, I can only, I can only share my own experience. Yeah. So that's, no, that's why. I think that's awesome, man. And, and, and super cool that you got to meet Quincy as well. I mean, what a legend, man. Oh, I mean, he's like the coolest guy ever. That's so cool. Well, Joe, dude, thank you as usual for your time. And um, my pleasure. Thanks for having I'll me. I'll link some show notes, uh, as I mentioned earlier. I'll link some 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 links into the show notes so that people know where, where to find you and stuff like that. And, dude, you're the man, man. You're the man. <laughs> no, no, you're the man. <laughs> Hey, listen, man, enjoy the rest of your day. Um, I will talk to you soon. I appreciate it, man. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks, dude. Bye. Bye. All right, later. All righty, man. Episode five, done, dusted, in the can. I want to thank my buddy Joe for giving me his time. I want to thank you for listening. And, um, you know, Check out musicians-mentor.com for more. My name's Travis Mark. Keep pushing. Keep working towards those dreams. You can do it. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. Peace.